split sermon by Mr. Ken Barton entitled, What is Our Goal? I'm going to deviate from my set deal here. For When I was about 16, my father started going to church again. My parents were going through a divorce. My, gra- my grandfather and his brother had founded a church at Pine Place in Norfolk here in Tulsa. And Evening Light Saints uh, Church of God out of Springfield, uh, Missouri. <clears throat> And my dad was telling me about a deal that happened. At that church, the minister's wives sat on that side of the stage, and the ministers sat on that side of the stage, and everybody else sat out there. They did not sing, uh, no instruments, no instruments, no ties, no rings, pretty much basic. Beautiful singing. And people would sing until one of the ministers, the one that had the message, would stand up. Well, this certain Sunday, because they haven't come to the understanding yet, they sang a long time. They sang and sang and sang. Because, you know, there was no song director. Just someone would either ask for a certain song to be sung or someone would start singing a song. And they kept singing, and they kept singing. And finally, two men stood up. One of them sat back down, and the other one came up and gave his message. And as soon as service was over, the uh, head deacon made an announcement that there was going to be a meeting after church, and they asked my father to stay. And everybody had left, he said, what's going on? God is not a God of confusion. God gives a message to one person. What's going on? And one of them said, I didn't have the message, but I was tired of singing. <laughs> I had a message, so I was going to give it. And the other one, and I'm not sure which one got up and spoke. I think it was this one said, I had a message, and it was a hard message. And I didn't want to give it. So anyway, what is our goal? It's not what you know that kills you. It's what you know for sure that ain't so. Mark Twain said that. I've heard a couple of different versions, but that's basically it. It's what you just know for absolute fact that just isn't actually fact. And John 8, 32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So before I start this message, I want to state that my aim is not to be hateful and not to create hateful rhetoric. What I'm wanting to do is share what I've learned. 
If I upset somebody, I'm sorry. <clears throat> but this is what I feel I have to say, what I've been given to say. So how often do we ask ourselves, what is your goal? What do I want to learn to build toward, to become better at? <clears throat> Every so often we ought to ask, are we there yet? It's good to have a goal in mind so you know when you got there. <clears throat> and if you're there, if you've got what you are striving toward, do you keep it to yourself? Do you share it with others? And what if they don't want to hear it? Through my life, I've definitely learned that our journey is a lifelong one. We don't ever just get there and we can coast. There's a reason that the Bible tells us in Isaiah 28 and 10, for precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little and there a little. It's incumbent that as we study, that we learn, that we pay attention and that we grow. We're doing that here. Our church has held meetings and asked people for their input. We've asked people what they feel we need to do. Uh, what do we need to help us build our church, to build our congregation? And that to me says that one of our goals is to grow that and to reach out to more people, bring them to an understanding of God and how God wants us to live. Some of the suggestions have been to make it more inviting, a little more exciting place. We've made changes to our classrooms and in our services and in our music. Some other changes have been made to better protect ourselves for some of those we are trying to reach out to. For instance, we've had to take a closer look at security, upgrade some things, because unfortunately, some of the folks that we need to reach mean us harm. The world has become a dangerous place. There have been a lot of changes in our lifetime. One of the changes that Glenn and I and I'm certain others as well have wondered about is when did Christians become the haters? You may have noticed that we are painted with that brush quite a bit. This has become quite the offensive tool used by those who seek to undermine our faith and our practice of that faith. <clears throat> I actually had someone tell me once, a co-worker that I had, that Christians should stay out of other people's lives. If they don't, that if they, Christians, didn't want to abort babies, they shouldn't do it. <clears throat> but they should leave those who don't want unwanted children alone, rather than make them just fill up orphanages. <clears throat> they should leave them alone and let them have abortions if that's what they want. We don't need to be middling in other people's lives and make them have children they don't want. And I agree with that. We shouldn't make children have make people have children they don't want. But see, <clears throat> I've never seen where people were forced to make babies. Okay? So I have a different solution in mind. Let's don't create them in the first place until you are married and ready to take care of your family. In 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul tells Timothy, If any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. 
I know that Paul is speaking here about people taking care of their widowed mothers, parents. <clears throat> but I feel it also applies to people taking care of their children. I'm, my feeling is Paul didn't address abortion because that wasn't a thing then. <clears throat> I do not and never will agree that people should be able to murder babies. So that's my stance in case you were wondering what I thought about abortion. <clears throat> that they create and then don't want. So how much, or how is it, that attitudes have changed so much? So much, in fact, that it seems we're in a time that Isaiah warned about in the fifth chapter, and I'm going to start at the 20th verse. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward. Take away the, righteous of the righteous, righteousness of the righteous from him. Well, it happened a little at a time. A little at a time, by people being drawn away from God. It's how King Balak brought down Israel, by following the advice of the wicked prophet Balaam. You can read about that in Numbers chapters 22 through 24, and actually some into 25. The account of how Moab's king Balak hired Balaam, who was not an Israelite but was a prophet, to curse the Israelites. But that never occurred, even though Balak gave Balaam many chances at great expense to the Moabites, they had built all kinds of altars, sacrificed lots of animals. <clears throat> and Balaam warned him right from the get-go. I'm not going to, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I'm not going to curse anybody that God won't let me curse. I'm, you know, if God blesses them, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what he's going to do. He warned him ahead of time. So that, of course, angered Balak greatly. Though it's not covered here, it's my understanding through learning and through studying and through reading that Balaam did advise Balak as to how to bring down the Israelites. See, he told Balak that as long as Israel followed God and obeyed his laws, they would be protected. But if they turned away from him, if they started sinning, they would lose that protection. One way that this could happen would be for them, say... You know, I, and I say he wasn't an Israelite, and this is strictly not politically correct. But I can see this. But, you know, if he had some real pretty girls over here that the guys liked, you know, and they got to know him. And then, you know, they kind of let him off a little way. And that's what they did. Balak had his beautiful young women come and seduce the young men of Israel and they got them to do little by little got them away they started eating meats sacrificed to other gods God said you do not do that then through that they started worshiping the other gods 
Then, now we get to Numbers 25. You find the results. In the first verse, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself to Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. When God gets down to it, it's bad. Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay you every one of his men that were joined to Baal Peor. That's to that God. <clears throat> and behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. This is while they are out killing people that have been worshiping another god, okay? And he takes them to a tent, takes this woman to a tent and takes her to bed. Just walks right through the middle of everybody. When Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and he took a javelin in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through. The man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel and those that died in the plague were 24,000. It's a lot of people. God was angry. Because of what the people had done, God brought a plague upon them, killing 24,000 people before Aaron's grandson, the son of the high priest Eleazar, killed that man and Midianite woman and stopped the plague. Now, <clears throat> I want to keep in mind what President Abraham Lincoln said when asked if God was on their side. He said, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. And that's where I really want to be. <clears throat> I've also wondered how the Republican Party, the champions of freedom and anti-slavery, the ones that voted for the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to be passed, had become the horrendously bigoted party. While the Democratic Party, the champions of slavery and lynching, had become the free-thinking and inclusive party and the ones that cared. We're the haters. They're, you know. And, and <clears throat> I recently finished reading Hillary's America. The Secret History of the Democratic Party by Dinesh D'Souza. It's very informative, eye-opening, and scary. He covers a lot in this book. For the record, let me state, Glenda and I were Democrats for a long time. But it seemed that more and more, they were going away from what, where we were, from where our beliefs were. Turns out, according to this book, they were pretty much always further away than I ever realized. 
and I feel certain farther away than most people realize. Now I want to state very clearly, I'm not, I'm not talking about everybody that's a Democrat, everybody that's a Republican, you know. I'm talking about certain people, leaders of our country, and organizations who over more than a century and a half have worked to make changes in our nation, who have actually, in fact, are working to make changes around the world in how we live and how we are governed. The end goal, Mr. D'Souza posits, is being to enslave the world. Not to make slaves out of us, to enslave us. Which make, to make us totally reliant on the government and for what little bit we get to keep. So I'm going to challenge everyone that's here and everyone that's out there to read that book. At the very least, see the movie. But I'm challenging you, seriously challenging you, read that book and watch the movie. Actually, there's some, the book covers some stuff the movie doesn't, and the movie covers some stuff the book doesn't. I'm pretty sure some of you are not in the least interested in doing that, and I understand that. <clears throat> Let me point out that many of us, at one time or another, we weren't really interested in learning about clean or unclean meats, holy days, you know, or, or even about God. There's a lot of people that they're doing great without God. Thank you very much. Don't need it. <clears throat> but I also think that most of us here are glad that we learned about that. Otherwise, we'd still be going to Sunday church. <clears throat> I'm not equating this book with scripture, okay? But what I am doing is saying that there is truth to be found, truth that can be enlightening. You see, I think God tries to warn us about what is coming. I don't think that... The only place I know for sure that he, he talked about someone beforehand, was, or one of them that comes to mind is Alexander, you know, who, who was going to come and defeat. But... <clears throat> I think he tries to warn us about what's coming. That he tries to give us a heads up to get us to make some changes. When I was a teenager, my father had a talk with me. And it was a much needed talk because I was rebellious. I've had that off and on. I'm thinking I'm getting better at it. You can ask Glenda, maybe I'm not. Anyway, he asked me to do something. He said, take a look at the people that you're emulating. I had long hair and... I was into being cool. Make the effort to see them for what they are, for what they're doing, the lives they're living, the things they are doing, the things they are accomplishing, whether they're good or bad. And he said, if you like what they're doing, fine. I don't think you will. But make the effort to actually be aware of what it is you're moving toward. And he was right. I didn't like it. It also won me my wife, because before the, she had seen me, I had this long hair, and she was not interested. And she'd warn her dad when, she, when I was coming over to get her, yeah, I'm just dating this guy once, so I can tell him I'm not interested. You know. 
and she heard him talking to me and laughing, and she couldn't figure out who this person was that had shown up. <clears throat> and she almost didn't recognize me. But anyway, you can learn things by reading. Sometime back, I purchased a book about secret service agents and what they'd, their, what they'd learned, the presidents that they'd served under. <clears throat> One of the reasons I bought it was a teaser about Obama, which said he was prone to temper tantrums and being sullen. And you know what? That wasn't mentioned in the book at all. Not a bit. What was spoken about was how he and Michelle were caring people. And, and she, she, would, she wasn't afraid to touch, touch them. You know, put her hand on her arm, ask them about their family. You know, there were some uh, Al Gore. One of the interactions I heard about was him. He, he had his son there with him, and he, he's pointed out this guy, and he says, now, if you don't do well in school, you'll have a job like this guy. Now, here's a guy that's, that's taken an oath to give his life to save this moron, and he's castigating him and speaking down about him. I have a problem with that. Could you tell? Anyway. <clears throat> I can't understand why people think they can lie about somebody else. You know, they don't need to put lies out. If people are doing poorly, badly, whatever, it'll show up. You don't need to put lies out there. <clears throat> if you do things like that, it, it kind of makes, means that people could say this, like someone who's passing those lies, you can say pretty much the same thing about them because it's just as right as what they were lying about the other person. I bet they don't think about that. I've passed information on believing it to be true in the past and found out that it was a lie. <laughs> I don't like that. They've drafted me into their lies. Whenever I found out that I passed on an untruth, I strive to correct that. And that's why we share our faith, isn't it? To help people realize if they're going the wrong way. And if we're going the wrong way, we share that. I was going the wrong way. I straightened up. That's what God tells us we're supposed to do. That's why I share with people why I observe the Sabbath. Why I observe the holy days and dietary laws. God said, don't eat it. He made me. He made that food. Maybe he knows which one works better. That's the same reason you'd want someone to bridge out so they don't run off the bridge and die. Let's get back to Hillary's America. <clears throat> I'd seen his first movie, Obama's America, Unmaking the American Dream, and found it to be very informative. He did not so much hold forth on his own beliefs as lay out what he found, what he had found in his research about what was being said about America and what actually happened in America's past. <clears throat> Many of the accusations that have been brought against America are false. But many of us in America had believed them and accepted them as truth because they were spoken with, with courage and, you know, with the, this happened. Okay. I'll share one thing that comes to mind about that, that we had stolen our southwestern states from Mexico. 
You know what really happened? After the war with Mexico, we gave them back half their country and forgave them their war debts. See, our, our territory after, at the end of that war went all the way to the southern border of Mexico. And we gave them half of it back. Some people, well, you gave them the worst half. Well, we, were supposed to, we were supposed to give them the top part, and no, that's silly. Just Anyway, I didn't know that. Did you? Did you guys know that? We owned all of Mexico, and we gave it back, and we forgave them their war debts. We could have had lots of money. America has a, a history of doing that, forgiving countries that we beat death, if, or debts. Uh, the Mouse That Roared has, is a good take on that one. So why did I bring this book up to you? Is it to stir up things? Get everybody aggravated? Cause hard feelings? No. I tell you from the bottom of my heart. No. My intention is to look at America. Where it's been, where it's at, and where it's headed. And then ask ourselves, how did it get here? Do we want to continue along that path, or do we need to make changes? It's not going to be easy, but it's going to require repentance and revival of our beliefs and serving of God on a national level. I feel that right now we are where we are, and we have the president we have, because people have been praying for God's forgiveness and for his healing. I think a lot of people have turned to God because they were worried about where we were headed. Things didn't look, you know, I'm sure, you know, folks that didn't see that. But I fervently hope that America will keep praying for God to guide us and to guide our leaders in these coming years. <clears throat> One of the things, we had a, a study at our former church was experiencing God. And they said, if you want to know what your church, you know, is God working? Yeah, he's working 24-7, 365 and a quarter. Always, ever. Now, is what he's wanting us to do, what we're seeing that church down the road do, because it's really working for them? Probably not. But that he's working, yeah. Does he want you to help? Yeah. The trick is to find out. So in this study, they said what you, you as a church have to do is start praying. What is God wanting us to do as a body of believers? And they said, until you get to a, about an 80% consensus, you ain't there yet. But you keep praying and you will get there. So anyway, we truly need to continue. As Paul directed Timothy, chapter 2, starting at verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and honesty. Sounds like a good plan to me. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we need to strive to make America better, which in my mind means to come to God and to be on his side. Not to, hey God, can you come over and 
come over to our side and bless our side and make the other side look. No. We all, all need to get on God's side. Because believe it or not, I know I don't have it all. Bridges tried to help me straighten myself up a few times, and I hope he'll see, keep it up. I want to serve God. I want, anyway. Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by its fruit. Let's strive to make the tree America good and its fruit good. And yes, just think what a difference at this time it will make.